Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message today out of the book of Revelation, continuing in chapter 21 of this wonderful book. Last time I looked at verse 2, this time I'm going to look at verse 3. And I would like to read that verse to us so that you can have an understanding of really what the context is. I always like to start with the reading of God's Word first before I try to explain it. Verse 3 of Revelation 21 says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. What an extraordinary verse. What is it about that verse that just captures our attention? And I think it is really that we are going to see God. We are going to be with God. We're going to be in heaven where He is. The title of this message today is Living in God's Presence. And I've already given you an outline. The last two weeks we've been following that outline. It's a very simple outline. It's just got three points. Point number one is, we in, in this context, which is, which is verses 1 through 4, verse 1, we see a place. Verse 2, we see a city. Verse 3, we hear an announcement. We've already looked at points 1 and 2, the place and the city. And now we're in verse 3. And so we hear an announcement. He starts off this by saying, And I heard a loud voice from the throne. So we, we, we don't think this is a God. We think it is an angelic messenger uh, announcing something that he wants John to see or to hear and then also record it or write it down. So last time we began to just touch on this verse 3 in a way that was just very simplistic. We, uh, we actually mentioned that when he says, I heard a loud voice from the throne, uh, that I heard a loud voice it has already been mentioned some, uh, I think it's 22 or 24 times already. Uh, and then he says some interesting things about the general description of the announcement. He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And so what I would like to do is I want to just kind of define some of these terms for us. I want to look at tabernacle and dwell. And those two words, you see that there? Uh, Behold the tabernacle of God. As I'm looking in verse 3 of ch chapter 21 of Revelation. And then right after that he says, And he shall dwell. Well, the word tabernacle is an interesting word here. Uh, God no longer is far off, I believe is what he's saying. God is, is no longer in a different place. The tabernacle is a word that really means the place or the place of abode or the place where you live. And I think what he's telling us is this is the Father's house and it's located in New Jerusalem uh, and the Father's house is among His own. Jesus went away to prepare a place for us in the Father's house. And of course we've already mentioned some of this in the last two previous weeks. So the Father could come and live in His house with us is, uh, is really the, what He's giving us here as far as a description. And then there is the word dwell there. Uh, the word dwell is an interesting word. Uh, it, he says, I will make my dwelling among you. Or it's actually phrased like this. 
He shall dwell among them. As any Jew would know, it was a, it was too powerful of a thought or word to say God. They would not say God's name or repeat his, uh, a word for his name. They just would not do that. So it would be unthinkable in the mind of a Jew. And basically it's unthinkable for us to think that I will make my, when it says I will make my dwelling among you, that this is God speaking. Uh, that this is God speaking to us and saying something to us that is extraordinary. Uh, extraordinary in the sense that no, we, can't, uh, we cannot understand that. Uh, you shall be my people and I will be your God. I'll be among you. Now remember now, Emmanuel means God with us. Uh, and when we get to heaven, it's really going to truly mean God with us. Not just in human flesh in the form of Jesus Christ, but Emmanuel is with us and will be with us in his fullness. I don't know how to explain that because I can't see that. I can't hardly perceive that at this moment. No more veiled in flesh, no more in a holy of holies, in the tabernacle like we saw in the Old, Old Testament. Uh, no more as a pillar of fire by night, no more... Uh, in any of those ways, God is going, it says, God comes and makes his home with us. And so we're beginning to unwrap this in such a way as it perhaps we'll understand more about what makes heaven, heaven. Now, this is the Father's house we're talking about, and we're all in it together. Who is all of us? The bride of Christ. All of the redeemed saints of all times. That's who John sees here, and that's who heaven is for. That is the amazing reality of heaven. And we got that when we first read the Beatitudes of Matthew chapter 5 through 7, where it says, Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. Well, the fulfillment of that is truly when we get to heaven, and then there is a new heaven and a new earth. In fact, in, in, fact, in Revelation chapter 21, in verse 22, I, I want to read this to you. This, it just brings to mind something here that, that's also interesting. In verse 22 of Revelation, Revelation 21, uh, John says, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Well, why is there no temple? Well, because the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. In fact... A temple would indicate that you have to go somewhere, that God is not right there. He is over in the temple, and the temple would be separated from where you are. So, what this is saying is we don't need a temple because we're going to be in God's house, and God himself will be there. Now, can I explain that any further? I absolutely cannot. But we will begin to understand that when we are out of our, our uh, sinful bodies and we're in our glorified flesh. But when it says the, to dwell, it is the same root word as tabernacle. And it's related to the term that we get Shekinah or the very presence of God. Shekinah, when we talk about the Shekinah glory of God, we're talking about Shekinah means habitation. We saw that in, and we've seen that in much of the Old Testament. Uh, when he says this phrase, which is in verse 3, it's like he is overwhelmed with the fact of what he is hearing 
from this announcement. This announcement is saying something. And John repeats that. So he's having to write what he's hearing. So when he's hearing it, you know, whether the announcement actually only says it one time, John records it three different ways. He says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. Then he says, He shall dwell among them. And then he says, And they shall be his people. It's almost as if he is saying, Wow, I can't believe all of this. And then he concludes with, God himself shall be among them. Uh, and so if he had said it in any other way, we may have been able to explain some of that. But to say, with the cap on it, and God himself shall be among them, it, it's, it's adding something of intensity to it. God is among men. He dwells among them. They are his people. Yes, you heard me right. God himself will be there. That's what he's saying. And so when we look at this, we, get, we begin to see uh, with some kind of an understanding of what he's actually talking about. In fact, think about it this way. When Paul says in the expression, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain, you might ask yourself, well, why would it be to gain if you die? Because people today, people today, and I hear it all the time, fear death. They really fear death. Uh, and, and so they, we don't know how to handle death uh, as people are approaching death. But they fear death. But Paul said, for me to, to die is gain. Well, if for me to live as Christ, to die is gain, the reason is because now, he, well, he could see then what the reality is now. And the reality for Paul now is <coughs> he is in heaven. He is in the very presence of Christ in all his fullness, and Paul himself has a glorified body. Yes, I, I, I'm giving it to you exactly right. Heaven is that place where we will live with God. Heaven is that place. And so Paul was saying, I see that place. And if that place is real, has any significance at all in the Christian life, then for me to live is Christ for sure. But to die is even better because I will dwell where he dwells. I will live where he lives. When we think about heaven and its attractiveness, we might consider all that we're going to read here. In fact, he's going to get into all this in Revelation 21 beginning in verse 11 talking about the brilliance of heaven and the, 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 the jewels of heaven, the streets of gold, the jewels that sparkle with shining or reflecting the very glory of God himself. We can look at all that or we might think, wow, heaven is going to be great because we get to see our loved ones. I particularly think that way because I just lost my wife, Carol, just a few months ago. And so for me to think about a reunion where I can see her again and be with her is almost overwhelming for me. But we are children of the Redeemer. We might consider when we're made perfect out of that perfection, we will come to our perfect place where we can praise and worship Him in our glorified body. And that's going to be really the best and most glorious reality of heaven yeah you heard it right yeah i really believe that is the best most glorious reality of heaven 
is not to fellowship with our loved ones. That's going to be, uh, it's going to be wonderful. In fact, I don't think if we were in our flesh and had that, our flesh could, could contain it, could, that we could maintain any kind of calmness at all. I don't know how we could handle it. And to see as much as we're going to see up there in all the beauty of heaven, but the best and the most glorious reality of heaven, I think is going to be by far God himself. I just really believe that. And I think that's what this announcement from the throne is telling John. Yes, in verse 1, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, in verse 2, the city, a holy city, New Jerusalem. And it's going to be full of nothing but holy people living there. All for the very purpose of glorifying God. And yes, there is even a better reality than that. It's that God himself shall be among all those that are called the bride of Christ in verse 2. Isn't that, that's amazing. It's like, how do you explain that? Well, I want to explain it by giving us three basic features uh, that I think are wrapped up all in this. Three simple phrases to add, uh, like the first one, and the first one will be, we will be with him. If there's, this verse means anything, it means, number one, we will be with him. That's called fellowshipping with Christ. And there's no way around that. That's just a very simple thing to look at. And I get this from the very first part of verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. We will be with him. We will be with him. We will be with him that is a describing a fellowship. And you know, John has already very graciously for us in 1 John described the fellowship. He says over in chapter 1, what we have seen and what we have heard, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. That's John talking about Christ. And then he says, we proclaim to you. That's the gospel. In order that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Well, that is true. We have that now. But in heaven, the fellowship will be full, unhindered, and more wonderful than anything we can ever experience. And that is the fellowship that we will enjoy in heaven. You see, we enjoy the fellowship. We experience the fellowship of Christ now. We experience the fellowship of unbelie I mean of believers now when we get together. But when we get there in heaven, we will be with him. I can't imagine what this announcement did for John as he has been able to pin this other words that I've talked about. And John also penned part of the Lord, what we call the greatest of the Lord's prayer in the Garden of Eden. I mean the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Gethsemane when he was preparing for the cross in John chapter 17 he said, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me will be with me where I am. Boy, that is the heart of Christ. He's praying the reality of all that John is seeing to be true, to happen. 
And in other words, when I come back to you and the glories of your throne in heaven, I want my own to be there. That's Christ saying he wants all of the redeemed with him so we all can experience in the fullness of the fellowship with not just him, but with one another, and more importantly, as verse 3 says, with God himself. In fact, you know, the, the, what we call, uh, 1 Thessalonians, we call, uh, I've heard some people call it the rapture passage, uh, cha uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 through 17. Uh, and at the end of that, it says, Thus we shall always be with the Lord. And then it says, Comfort one another with these words. So the highest joy of heaven is not how beautiful heaven is going to be. It's not our loved ones are going to be there, or we hope all of our loved ones are there. It's not that we get to meet Moses and Elijah and Daniel and all that. That's as great as all that's going to be. The highest joy of heaven is... Uh, it's not even all of the praise and the worship there. High of joy of a heaven is to be with the Lord himself. I think that would be the ultimate joy. In fact, we can't understand that right now because we're in the flesh that has not been totally and fully redeemed to a glorified flesh like Romans chapter 8 talks about. And so I don't think we can understand this at all. I don't, I don't think we can understand the impact of it. I don't think we can see it. And this is to say that, this passage is to say that God dwells among all of his people there in the new heaven and the new earth. We won't even need a temple. The city has no need of the sun or the moon. And we're going to see all of that as we move further into chapter, uh, through this chapter 21. To be honest with you, it's sort of comfortable to know uh, God only from a distance, as one writer puts it. We don't want to know him that close yet in these fleshly bodies. We've gotten a glimpse in Scripture of what that can do when Isaiah saw God. Remember in the, in the temple there in chapter 6, and the angel cried, holy, 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 and he was so uh, overwrought with fear and that he pronounced a curse and a, dam a damnation upon himself when he said, Woe is me, for I am unclean. And Job had the same experience in his flesh when he was brought face to face with God, closer than he had ever been in his whole life. He said, I repent in dust and ashes. And yet he didn't even stand face to face with God. So this flesh can't handle it. What about Peter? When Peter realized that he was in the very presence of the Creator, God who controlled everything in the world because he had just controlled the, the, the fish in the Sea of Galilee, Paul saw an absolute miracle. He understood that to be God himself. Nobody can do that. Peter, realizing, cried out of the depths of his heart, Depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. You know, I've always looked at that and thought, Isn't that amazing? that he realizes at that moment, this is God with me. And he says, depart. Not come closer. Let me hold you. Let me touch you. Let me talk to you. Let me just look at you. No. He says, depart from me. And I love how John MacArthur puts it. He says, and when a sinner, even a redeemed one, gets into the proximity with God, it is a frightening, terrorizing experience. 
Donald Gray Barnhouse says, unholiness is always uncomfortable in the presence of perfect holiness. And so, for right now, it's actually okay that the intimacy of heaven is reserved for heaven and not now. Because, you see, we're not equipped to handle that. We will be equipped when we receive our glorified body. But we haven't received that yet. That comes later. And then we will be equipped. And so then the intimacy of heaven and that true fellowship of realizing that we will actually be with Him that that is reserved for heaven and heaven alone will be experienced. And it will be wonderful because it would be too frightening for those of us here on earth to experience even a glimpse of that now. In fact, Peter, James, and John did not know how to handle the glory of God in the fellowshipping there with Jesus, uh, Moses, and Elijah. He, Peter didn't know what to do. Uh, he just, Lord, let us build three tabernacles. And bless his heart, he realized the permanence there. Let me stay here with all of this. This is where I want to be. Someday we're going to have that. And this announcement given to John is telling him to record this. This is the new heaven. This is the new eternal realization or the reality of all the redeemed of all the ages. And someday we'll walk up boldly into His presence in this shining of His glory. Someday we'll, we'll take our room in the Father's house. The one where Jesus said in John chapter 14, I will go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. It's the Father's house. We won't bat an eye. We won't be ashamed. We won't blush. We won't hide our face. We won't turn our eyes. We won't fall on our faces flat. We will be able to look on whatever the glory of God is that we're capable of seeing at that moment in our glorified bodies. And guess what? I think we're going to see and feel comfortable in that moment. I think we're going to feel refreshed in that moment. And these words are probably so shallow compared to what we will actually see. So number one, this passage is saying, if it says anything, it says we will be with Him. But number two, if this passage says anything, it says we will see Him. Not just be with Him, we will see Him. The glory of heaven is we will see Him. The tabernacle of God is among men. He dwells among them. They'll be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. Three times that phrase, among them, among them, among them. We will see the Lord. That's right, you said, I thought the Old Testament said, no man can see the Lord and live. Well, it does. Exodus 33, John 118. Uh, I mean, there's all kind of passages. Uh, uh, it says, No man has seen God at any time. 1 Peter 1 8. We love the one whom we have not seen. And of course, you remember that the Apostle Paul, describing the character of God, even says that God is invisible. He is the one who alone possesses immortality, dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. If God is accessible, if God is invisible, if no one can look on Him, if He's too holy, too pure, too spotless, and we are too uh, iniquitous, 
How is it that we can see Him? How will we be able to see Him? We know He's invisible. Will we see Him in the body of Christ? The, re the words of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 that I've already alluded to in the very first part of this message says the, that Jesus said that those who there are those who will see God. That's the promise from the very mouth of Jesus himself. And those who will see God. He said, you have to have a you have to meet a condition. There are certain ones who will see God. He's talking about the ones who go to heaven, not the ones that were in the crowd listening to him. They have to be pure. The day will come when we will be pure and we will see God. For the time being, we can see in a veiled glimpse like Moses saw, but we can't really see Him. They could only see a part, but whenever they saw any part of God at any time in the Old Testament or New Testament, here's what they saw. They saw light, L-I-G-H-T, or fire, a bright cloud of light. Now listen to Psalm 104, verse 2. The Bible says God covers Himself with light as with a garment. God who is spirit cloaks Himself with light. He wears light in order to be visible. In other words, the invisible puts on light to be visible. And we see that all the way through. We even began the book of Revelation in chapter 1. At the end, where in verses 12 through the end of the chapter, where he is light. Now, having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and his head was a, a light, light wool, and his eyes were like a flame of fire, and his feet, and he gives a feet. And it describes him, but everywhere we see he is described as light. Ezekiel, or Exodus 24 17, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was and like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. Psalm 36, 9 says this, In thy light we see light. Whenever anyone has seen God, whether it is on the mountain in the Old Testament, Mount Sinai that is, or whether it's on the, on the mount in, in New Testament, the Mount of Olives, the Mount of the Transfiguration, what do they see? Light. They see light. Brilliant, shining, pure, blazing, white light. And that is why we think God is shining glory because that is in fact how He reveals Himself. You say, well, we, we will see Him. We will see Him in light. When we have been made pure, there is nothing that can be ignited by that light. Right now, that light would ignite us. It would consume us. We would not be able to handle it. But in our glorified bodies, we will be able to handle probably, partly anyway, the light. And that's what we read in verses 22 and 23. The glory of God illuminates the new heaven and the new earth and blazes its light throughout the new heavenly Jerusalem. And so we see that that light is real. That's how the invisible clothes himself so that he might be visible through the light. You see, it's a privilege to be able to see God. That's going to be one of our privileges. Uh, so, whatever this passage is meaning, it's meaning we will be with Him. We will see Him. We will actually be able to see Him. You remember Peter said this in John chapter 14. When he was talking to Christ and Christ was giving him all of this, this teaching about praying and 
He said, show us the Father, and it sufficeth us. That's what we really want to see, Jesus. Show us the Father. And I, I think that's what we're going to want to be. We're going to be just like that. I think we get to heaven, we're going to want to see the Father. In fact, that's what Ezekiel 126 says. Uh, and of course, I, I've already given you Ezekiel chapter 1 is another description of heaven. But Ezekiel chapter 1, he says, Above the expanse there was over their heads the, the heads of angels that he saw. There was something resembling a throne. And then he describes that. I love that. It sounds like a, a, a something that he, he just can't quite figure out how to describe it. There's some kind of glory is attached. There was a, then he describes uh, all of the appearance and how it all looks. And then he says, And I noticed from the appearance of his loins and upward something like glowing metal that looked like fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his loins and down when I saw something like fire, there was radiance around him. Well, what is Ezekiel seeing there? He's seeing something that has some shape, and it's sort of shaped like a man, only it's just a whole lot of blazing, glowing, shining fire which radiates. It's amazing. Verse 28 of that chapter, chapter 1 of Ezekiel. As the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding rainbow. So coming off the glory of the appearance of God as he sees him on the throne is fire. And from fire comes light, and light diffuses into the rainbow of colors. This is the appearance of the Lord. This is what Ezekiel was seeing. He was allowed to get just a glimpse of that light. But in heaven, John is recording the words of this announcer and we will see him if it means anything it means we will be with him if it means anything we will see him but if it means anything at all it's also going to mean we're going to praise him that's exactly right we're going to praise him one writer puts we will adore him because heaven is a place of worship we are going to worship uh, one writer puts it like this we're going to worship 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 and we're going to worship that's what we're going to do forever and ever is we're going to worship. I remember one time in the, one of the Bible study classes, someone came up and approached me and said, listen, is what we're going to do in heaven, worship? And I said, oh, yes, there will be lots of worship in heaven. And they said, well, is that all we're going to do? And it was meant to be a negative. And it kind of stunned me, and I went, uh, you know, I don't know. But heaven's going to be full of worship. But every time you go into Revelation and you, you go into heaven, which we've done many times, uh, especially by the time we get to chapter 21, but you're in heaven and every time we go there, what do we find? We find worship. That's what's happening in heaven. It's just praise and worship and honor and glory to God. So it's very clear when we look at heaven and we read a verse like I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold! The tabernacle of God is among men. He shall dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself shall be among them. Then if He's among us, we are going to be worshiping Him. That's what we're going to be doing. So, what is heaven going to be like? What makes heaven heaven? It's living in God's presence. That's what makes heaven heaven. And that's what this passage is saying. So remember, I'm entitling this message this week, Living in God's Presence. And I want to thank you so much for being patient with me as I stumble through some of this stuff. 
But all of this, I get so excited over this. And I thank you for joining me today. And again, this has been William Rogers bringing another message out of the book of Revelation. And remember now, verse 3 doesn't end the quote of what this announcement is. The part of the announcement goes into verse 4. Verse 4. And that's where the announcement ends, is at the end of verse 4. So we're going to take a look at that next time. And I hope you will join me then.